the estimates as much as $13 billion a year that donations to charitable organizations have gone down as a local hometown charity. Has that affected your donations? Overall, what I've affectionately referred to with our organization is that we raise a lot of nickels and dimes. However, over time, we have brought in some larger donors who are giving significant dollars. And what we're seeing is those donations are being delayed 45 days within the year. We've not seen some right. of those monies come in. So I'm hopeful that it's a delay, but we are noticing that the larger dollar amounts are decreasing or not coming in at all. Some of that's through choice. People have lots of opportunities, but I also think that the Tax Act is having implications for our larger money supporters. It's the Retirement Trainer with Ed Sedell, a podcast about helping you find ways to become financially fit for your future, no matter what kind of shape you're in now. I'm Heather Branch, and on the show today, we're continuing our conversation on charity gifting. On last week's episode, we discussed the growing need to support charities and nonprofits as the new tax act has caused devastating financial impacts on these organizations. And today, we're getting an insider's perspective as Ed Sedell, the Retirement Trainer himself has invited Pat Poole, co-founder and president of Families for a Cure onto the podcast to not only share his personal story of working within the world of nonprofits, but to also shed light on the impact that your dollar has and how far it can be stretched through the extraordinary work of these organizations to help improve the lives of others. So hi, Ed, and welcome to you, Pat. Good morning, Heather. How are you? Doing great. It's the gifting season. Pat, welcome. Is this your is this your first podcast ever, Pat? This is my first oh, ever newbie. podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to do our best to uh, make it not, not intimidating. We're all friends here. We like to come together for these <laughs> weekly conversations with Ed to get lots of insight. And today we are doing an, an awesome project, learning more about Families for a Cure, your Good passion stuff. project over the years. So let's just start with Ed, you explaining to us how you know Pat and how you first got involved with Families for a Cure. Yeah, you, you know, actually, um, I had been playing in his golf outing for for years and didn't even really make the connection. And then um, personally, it affected our family in two separate uh, situations. One is my middle son, Ethan, his best friend was diagnosed with leukemia a couple of years ago, JJ. Oh, I'm sorry to hear and, that. And so Pat and Families for a Cure came in and, and really helped uh, uh, that family tremendously and, and JJ. And so that, that story actually has a, a very happy ending, um, which is fantastic. And then, you know, directly an actual family member, the first time I met Pat face to face was at our house mm-hmm. um, when uh, he helped my, my sister-in-law out, who is also diagnosed with cancer. So it has personally you know, affected our family, families for a cure. And, you know, so we saw firsthand, you know, what they do, how they do it, how they help families. But it's such a unique story because it's a local charity. They do so much good in the community. I just thought it would be a great way because we do sponsor, um, our sponsor is probably not the right word, um, support, right? Probably a better word, Pat. Um, charities throughout the year. And again, because this is so near and dear to, to mine and Leanne's heart that, you know, we supported them 
in our charity gala last year and we're doing it again, you know, this December as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's just interesting how you were just saying about your personal experiences working with Families for a Cure. The thing about these nonprofits and these charity type organizations is that I feel like a lot of people are just simply unaware of their existence until something happens, a personal experience happens. And then it's just this miracle. These, these group of people just suddenly come around you and support you and lift you up and help carry you through what could be a dark or difficult time in your life. And, and they really can change your life and, and inspire you to continue to pay that forward. So that's what we're hoping to get more of the message today in, in that direction, learning how we can continue to pay things forward. So I know that you're excited about talking to Pat and doing your, your own interview set questions that you've got there. So we're going to let you take the lead here and, and educate us more on families for a cure. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Ed. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's amazing how many mutual friends that that we have with, you know, Todd and and Eric, and the list just goes on and on. And how many times we've interacted without us not even knowing about Families for a Cure. Mm -hmm. And like Heather said, I think that's that's probably more typical than than not. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about Families for a Cure, kind of how you got started and what it's evolved into. Absolutely. So I grew up in Northwest Ohio and service was always part of what I was taught to do. I had a lot of great mentors in my life who took care of me, helped me through some times. And so one of the things that's always been near and dear to me was giving back. I mm-hmm. uh, was in a fraternity in college and we did a lot of service projects as well. So when I graduated several years later, I wanted to do something on an annual basis to get ideally my fraternity brothers back together. We do a small service project or raise some money and give it someplace with no real intent on what that would look like or where we would we give money to. Right. We had a golf outing in the early 2000s. Uh, and through the golf outing, I was introduced to Eric Friedman, whose parents had both passed away from cancer. And Eric was hosting a fundraiser and wanted to start a golf outing. Uh, our common friend Rick knew that I obviously want to turn the golf outing into a fundraiser over the next five years. And so Eric and I got together and talked about using the golf outing that I'd started as a platform for both of us to do some fundraising. And at that point in time, we're going to give the money to the American Cancer Society. In cancer, I knew it was an important cause, but to me at that point in time, it was just a word that used in a sentence and a disease that impacted many, but it had no real personal impact on Mm -hmm. me. Flash forward a couple years after we started our golf outing together, my father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, and the organization and the event took on a special meaning for my family and I. Uh, And so cancer became really a part of of who we are. We continued to have that golf outing, uh, and it just grew bigger and bigger. More people got behind it. They were impacted by cancer golf outing and we all enjoyed to do it love getting together to raise some money and uh, before you know it we were raising some significant dollars where we had to uh, establish our own 501c3 because of the volume of dollars we're starting to receive uh, and wanted to really control the experience a lot better make sure we knew where the dollars and money were being used and when when did you establish the the 501c3 so and and that, that what that means is it's a it's a certified nonprofit right that is correct okay so in 2009 we were official we received our official IRS uh, approval to be a 501c3 and that really created the platform for us to give to cancer research and patient experience in a way that uh, we can control the dollars and, and the overall experience again and make sure that the dollars that we were raising and giving in those grants were going to places that we felt needed it the most. Uh, in the initial days, we gave all the money to the uh, James Cancer Hospital. At OSU, at Ohio OSU. State, right? Correct. And then American Cancer Society. You know, and I think um, what makes you guys so unique is you're all volunteers, 
right? That's I mean, there's correct. not, there's, so you have a, a I was going to say a real job. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it, it is that too. I get paid for yeah, you get job. paid for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so you and, and, and your wife, Shannon, I mean, you have a full time job and then you have a total, including you and Shannon, there's a total of 11 board members, right? That is correct. And you're all 100% volunteers. Correct. And, and so when, when people give and, and the money that comes in, it goes right to those. And it's not just to people. I think that's another unique thing. So you give to families and to other organizations that kind of coincide and, and you have uh, uh, a similar mission, correct? Correct. I think what's unique about our organization is because we're 100% volunteers, uh, we all have the desire to help people impacted by cancer, either through research or through experiences. But the one thing we've realized is that none of us are prepared to do the job full time. So we have a partnership model where we collaborate with other organizations, primarily in Central Ohio, but we've grown beyond uh, just Central Ohio into Ohio and even really looking out beyond that. Uh, but what we do is I will work with organizations who have staff and have a direct connection to the end patients where we can work with them to identify opportunities where they need funding to do uh, a patient experience, whether they want to have uh, send, for example, last year we worked in an organization to send 500 families to the Ohio State Spring Game, right? That's a direct experience where we're allowed to, uh, we have an opportunity to create an experience for a family to get away and stop thinking about their situation for four hours on a Saturday and see their beloved football team uh, get ready for the big upcoming season. And so we look for opportunities like that uh, through many organizations. As of this year, we're partnering currently with about 15 organizations that are do, uh, working either in the research field or working directly with patients. And we give them uh, donor-designated grants where we control how the money is used. And I think that's what makes it so unique is that it's not just about the the experience, right? The family experience, the patient experience. I mean, you do other things too. When I just saw it here, Christians Overcoming Cancer, where, you know, people need money to cover gas to go to the hospital and, and pay their bills. So it's just, it's way above and beyond what most people think about. I mean, those things that people just don't even think about where they need help. You're correct. That's one of the things there, as we've grown over time, a lot of families will connect us and say, I've got, I know so-and-so who was just diagnosed with cancer or their child is diagnosed with cancer. How can you help? And it's one of those things that as we continue to get that conversation or have those conversations, people reach out to us. We're looking for ways to make sure that when we're asked that question, we can help them, whether it's directly through our organization or through a member mm -hmm. uh, in the community where we're, we're giving grants to help pay for gas bills or hotel stays when families come in from out of town to do that. Because we weren't built necessarily to do that directly, and again, being 100% volunteer run, right. it's hard to respond to that request right away when I'm in the middle of a business meeting during the day. So we have that partner network and it really allows us to make sure when someone reaches out for help, we have an answer for them, whether it's directly through something that we can provide as an organization or through one of our partner partners in the community who are delivering those benefits directly. And, you know, the, the lives that you have affected over the years. You know, so at your golf outing, just, you know, if, if people can, can visualize this, you know, at, uh, um, at the 18th hole, you had, you know, all these signs of each individual person that you helped. And, uh, I mean, how many, I, it had to be, uh, well over a hundred. I mean, I, I mean, and I'm, and I'm probably way shooting way, way low. I mean, it's, I couldn't believe the number of signs and, you know, Leanne and I got our picture taken with, with, uh, uh, the Thomases and next to JJ's name. 
you know, so. So we offer a an opportunity to recognize uh, individuals who have been impacted by cancer, and we, mm-hmm. we put these signs up there, essentially an 18 by 24 sign worth uh, names are in memory, in support, or in honor of someone that's battling cancer. And we put those out at the golf outing to create the impact of these are the people that we're helping, uh, either directly or indirectly through the research that we're doing or the experiences over time. So to answer your question, uh, we have over 200 signs that we place out uh, wow. at events. We'll place them at our 5K race, and we'll create a, a, a little tunnel where people will run through it during the 5K race. And at the golf outing, that's the highlight of of the impact statement, I think, that we make is letting letting people know that these are real lives that are being impacted and the money that we're raising through a fun golf outing is really being used for something that is needed and is serious. Well, and that was pretty cool when there were guests like I was, you know, for, for many years before we started to get involved and they were just walking around and they saw people that they knew, you know, the signs. So it really is. I mean, it's, it's local. You guys are right here and where are you guys located? We are located in Hilliard. Right in Hilliard, so you're you're a local nonprofit, and because you're all volunteer, you know what would you? I mean, 100 percent of all the proceeds go directly to 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 benefit the families, correct? That is correct. So we do five events throughout the year. So outside of the cost to run the event, mm-hmm. all the all the proceeds are used directly to uh, benefit cancer patients or research. We're running at about 95 percent rate to give. And the reason that's no longer 100% is because we're now at a point where we're expanding. So we've recently started to, uh, we rented an office to, because we wanted people to come and visit us. And so we've, because we're a volunteer run and, and uh, doing this on the side, we were meeting in places like Giant Eagle's Pantry in the Market <laughs> District to have our business meetings. There. Right. We got to a point where we realized um, the dollars that we're raising are significant. The people we're impacting are significant. And we can't bring them into the Giant Eagle Market Pantry to talk them and have a serious conversation about the impact that they're having and the help that people need. So right. we've recently rented an office space and have a wonderful deal where we're running uh, a significant amount of space for about $1,000 a year. Which and is so, incredible. And and by the way, that was a year, $1,000 a year, correct. right? Because it's it's like a dollar a square foot or something. So you're, you're, you're really stretching those dollars. So that's awesome. Now, I do have to ask you this just to kind of get a little technical with donations and, and giving and with the new tax act. And, you know, just from a from a high level, Pat, I, you know, we've talked about this before. I think when it was passed, everybody knew that it was going to affect two thirds of, of the country as far as because the standard deductions went up, people were no longer able to, to itemize. And so, you know, and I talked about this in the previous podcast, you know, the estimates are anywhere from, you know, from the Wall Street Journal to USA Today, Forbes, as much as, you know, $13 billion a year that donations to charitable organizations have, have gone down. You know, and I've seen it as low as, as averaging about $7 billion, and that's with a B. So you personally, you know, with a, as, a local hometown charity, you know, nonprofit. I mean, has that affected your donations? It has. It has. I think overall, what I've affectionately uh, referred to with our organization is that we raise a lot of nickels and dimes. However, over time, we have uh, brought in some larger donors who are giving significant dollars. And what we're seeing is those donations are being delayed. And the reason I say delayed is it's 45 days for the year, we've not seen some right. of those monies come in. So I'm hopeful that it's a delay, uh, but we are noticing that the, the larger dollar amounts are decreasing or not coming in at all. Some of that's through choice. People have lots of opportunities, but I also think that the tax, the tax act is having Im- implications for our larger money 
supporters. Yeah, and you know, um, and it does, and, and people need to understand that there are tax strategies out there. So, talking with their, their whoever their advisors are, their CPA, tax attorney. I mean, there are things out there where it will they can still reap the benefits, but having that charitable heart, those charitable inclinations, you know, people still give. And, you know, again, they just need to understand that there's there's other opportunities and, and better ways to, to do it to, to reap those benefits, right? Correct, correct. What are your goals as a charity? I mean, obviously, you know, you've, you're getting bigger, the, the funds that you're raising, you, you hit your goal early, right? right? As far as, so what was your goal originally to, as far as raising money for families? So we originally established the nonprofit in 2009, got the mm-hmm. official go ahead from the IRS. We set out a goal to raise a million dollars by the year 2021. And so we actually hit that goal of, uh, last year and raised our million dollar mark. And so we're at a crossroads right now of figuring out what's next. As you mentioned, and we've talked about that we're volunteer run. So there's a component of what can we do? Are we at a point where we need to grow and start hiring part-time staff? Or do we uh, continue down the path that we're doing? But the dollars that we're raising are becoming more and more significant. Uh, In 2018, we raised over $150,000. This past year, we're in the $100,000 mark there. And again, we've got time left through the year. So I'm hoping that we can break another record and and set a new fundraising benchmark for us. Uh, But we really got to get intentional about what we're doing and rethink the strategies. There's a lot of impact and a lot of things that people ask us to do. And none of us like to say no, but we're not always approved. As I mentioned before, somebody wants to diagnosed with cancer and they have bills to pay. It's probably one the biggest question we can ask there. We're not set up to give money directly to uh, the individuals to pay for bills, right? right? So we've got to have some conversations saying, this is a growing need. Is this something that we want to address or we want to continue with our partnership model? And we're having those strategic conversations right now to figure out what is the next goal? What should we do? And what's the greatest impact with where we're at right now? Do we grow beyond a volunteer organization? Which I don't think we will because all of us love the fact that we were... We're very good at hosting events and raising money. Mm-hmm. None of us are looking to do this full time. We get great benefit from doing it as volunteers. And I think that's really critical to who we are as an organization and the connections that we have to other people in the community. So I don't know that that's the right step, but we'll discuss that. Um, so your question is, is a hard one to answer right now because we're in between figuring out we're at that growth stage of a bit. If you think about our business, we're at a growth stage and like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Uh, and it's been a great journey to this point now. But again, as the dollars we raise grow, we've got to be really good stewards of that money and make sure that we're doing the best thing with it. And I think we've got a platform with our partnership model to allow mm-hmm. us to do that. Now it's just a question of, do we hone in and be very more specific with the dollars or do we continue to expand the portfolio and help many, many organizations and, and get to more um, patients. Because one thing we didn't mention is we support all uh, cancer types in all ages. So a lot of organizations will come in and, you know, this disease or this this form of cancer is their specific focus or this one there or pediatric or or research. We look at them all and say, where's the greatest need? And so we'll we'll partner and interview with organizations throughout the area to figure out just what are those needs every year. As people are listening, okay, I mean, what what's the one thing that you want to, to share with people to as far as awareness and, you know, maybe something that they, they haven't thought about, you know, if they do have a charitable heart, you know, those charitable inclinations, you know, whether it's with Families for a Cure or, or anybody right now, I mean, what, what would you say to those folks? I think the biggest thing that is really important from my perspective is, is, is having a passion for a cause, right? For myself and our family, it's cancer. 
But you have to be connected to the reason why you're giving the money, whether it's through a friend that's asking you to do it, that's a great support. But at the end of the day, I think everybody has, has a cause that's near and dear to them, and they should support that and do all that they can for it. With Families for a Cure, I think the biggest thing that we do, as I mentioned before, is we're supporting all types of cancer, uh, whether it's through research or patient experiences. And when you give to an organization like ours, I can tell you exactly where the money you gave went to because of the process we talked about earlier where we're giving desert, uh, restricted grants. Mm-hmm. And we'll work with the organization and say, this is what the grant is for. It can't go to pay for your overhead or your staff. You need to figure out how to pay for that from somebody else. But the money we give... We have a pledge to our, our donors, our supporters, our family members, as we, we really refer to them, to do good with the money and to make sure we're doing that. And so that's where I get back to the people who support us and are part of our family. It's passionate to them. It's, it's something they can connect to because they've been impacted either directly or indirectly through a family member or a neighbor, and they just want to do something. And what we're able to help them do is connect to a cause and make sure they have a story to, sh- to feel really good about. So you've got five events throughout the year, is that right? We do. Okay, so so what? Uh, obviously, the the golf outing is is the biggest one, and and you guys started doing the uh, the five k as well, Correct. right? So what other events do you guys have that people can support? So one of the things that we try and do is make sure that we have events for uh, everybody in the family or mm-hmm. individuals of all ages. There, so we have a toy drive coming up in December. December the seventh, we'll be over at Ten Pin Alley, and we'll bring in Santa, and uh, we'll ask fam- people who join. We'll just bring an unwrapped gift that we can donate to. Is that is that in the one on uh, Bridge Street in Devlin? That, no, Ten Pin Alley is Oh, Devlin. Ten Pin Alley, okay. Sorry. Yeah, Ten Pin Alley is in Hilliard. Gotcha, gotcha. We'll be over there um, on December the 7th from 9 to 11 a.m. And so that's the next event that's coming up. And that's a family-friendly event. Mm-hmm. We'll do an adult-only cocktail party. We do that. It's a theme party every year. This past year, we did a tailgate a party, a little college throwback, and asked everybody to come dressed in their their college gear from whatever era they went to college at. And we had a a big tailgate (laughs) party, which was awesome. Uh, And then there's a ladies only event that happens uh, that's run by my wife. I would love to go. It seems like a great audience to be a part of, but they have said that that I don't uh, meet the criteria for that. You're not allowed. I'm not allowed. Uh, (laughs) And then the golf outing is, is the big one that we do as well. That's been our flagship event that's entering its 17th year. uh, And we now host 200 and this past year we host 232 golfers and then we had a big party in the evening or another 200 guests came so it is a uh, 24-hour experience for those that are there from the beginning to end and it's it's a great day but it's an exhausting weekend from from an administration perspective and hosting it and you have a ton of volunteers out there too we do have a ton of volunteers we've been very blessed over the years with people who get passionate about what we're doing have Mm -hmm. a great time and enjoy the event as we've talked about all the time, if we're not having fun, we shouldn't be doing this because it's a very serious cause which we have, but people are there to enjoy themselves. And the more they enjoy themselves, the more generous they tend to get. And the more generous they are, the more good that we can do. And this just keeps the cycle going on where people want to come back year over year. Uh, there are, I believe, six players in the golf outing now that have played in all 16 events. Wow, so, really? Yes, yes, they are the legacy players. So we gotta keep them coming. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So how do people learn more about Families for a Cure? Great question. So there's several different ways which they can they can learn about us. We can visit our website at familiesforacure.org. They can follow us on social media and our primary social media outlets are through Twitter and that's fam for a cure is our handle on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we have a page on Facebook that's Families for a Cure. 
And then if they want to have a great conversation with me, they can reach out and I'd be happy to talk to them anytime there. They can reach me. The uh, best way to reach me is going to be through email, which is pat p at familiesforacure.org. Awesome. All right. And so, you know what? I really want to thank you. I mean, you guys do great work. Like I said, I know firsthand we've experienced it. Um, you know, I, I just want to encourage everybody to, whether it's Families for a Cure, whatever your passion is, even with the tax situation going on the way that it's it's set up right now, you know, if you have charitable inclinations, you have a charitable heart, you know, give, right? I mean, it's the season, tis the season, you know, open your hearts and Absolutely. open your wallets, help those who uh, are not as blessed as you are. So... Pat, uh, thank you very much. We'll have you back if that's all right. I would love to do that. Thank you for you and your family's support of Families for Cure. We appreciate you being part of our family. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to The Retirement Trainer with me, Ed Siddell. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends and family. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review this show. Got a retirement question? Send me an email to ed at egsifinancial.com. You can also learn more about us at egsifinancial.com. Join me next week for more retirement training. Thanks for listening. Edward Siddell is an investment advisor representative of EGSI Investment Management, a registered investment advisor. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments can fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than what originally invested. Financial professionals are not licensed in all 50 states. EGSI Financial Services, Inc. is not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products offered through Edward Siddell, NPN Insurance License Number 359-6278.